Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, uh, actually, one thing... Loud there today. Yeah, very loud. I note in Tony's head, he always thought if if he could get a big trophy deer, his dad would love him. Did he photograph the evidence when he found it? No, no, he didn't photograph it, nothing. I'm then able to create an interview and question him as to we found these casings in your back garden. Can you explain how they got there? To do it all then and there and completely wrong. Didn't want him to get in trouble and for people to think that he was killed over a drug deal gone bad. But why wouldn't they want people to think that? I don't know, but I can speculate. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. This is part four of my chat with Anthony Duke, the man convicted of the murder of Ronald Hauser, a crime he has always maintained he's innocent of. If you're yet to listen to the first three episodes, well, hit that pause button right now, jump on back and catch up. As we know, Ronald Hauser, the tree trimmer from Livingston County, was murdered, according to detectives, at 9.26pm on December 30th, 2011. We also know that Anthony Duke became a person of interest. But what was the motive? Well, like in many cases, apparently it was money. Ron was supposedly known for carrying large sums of cash with him at all times something friends and family would say he referred to as his knuckle. Of course, Tony and I discussed this. So they also say that um, the victim who was, who was killed would, would usually carry large sums of cash on him. Um, they say that in his property, when he was found, there was still $400 cash in a lockbox in the house, but they're suggesting that there was money on a dryer that he would, he would call his knuckle um, that was taken. They're suggesting that 
obviously that was someone knew that he would carry large sums of cash around, so it had to be someone he knew, which is, you know, obviously, I mean, it could be anyone. The guy knew a lot of people. Um, But his girlfriend apparently testifies that she saw him paying you out of this large sum of cash, which, again, in my opinion, is like, well, how else would he pay him? That doesn't mean that you've killed him for that cash. Well, the way Ron worked, he never paid anybody in front of somebody else. He always took them around the corner or sat in a vehicle and handled his financial business one-on-one. So his girlfriend would have never been around to see that. Yeah. So I mean, but again, I, I thought I, that's what was going on. Yeah, but I mean, again, it doesn't it doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that you killed the guy. You just knew that he had he had money. I mean, but then again, I and would that had, baggie and that yeah and that baggie that they say contained money on the dryer also has a palm print on it that isn't mine and it isn't mine. Well, that's interesting. So, so okay. So there was a baggie that had this cash in it, but they'd left that behind. Is that right? They say it is. I don't know. Right. But they had a, this this baggie had a palm print on it that wasn't yours and it wasn't according, Ron's. According to his according to his girlfriend, it resembled the baggie that he would carry his money in because it contained some other items that he would have in there. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and there was a palm print on it that wasn't mine or Ron's. Did they ever look into it any further or not? No, not that I know of. Yeah. Just like the candy wrappers and the cigarette butts they found behind a tree had DNA on them that wasn't mine, wasn't Ron's. You know, the real evidence they don't want to shed light upon. So at the crime scene, detectives would discover an empty Ziploc bag, which Ronald's girlfriend would say appeared to look like the one which he used to carry his money. Detectives would find over $400 that had been untouched in the house, but would suggest that they believe Mr Hauser had been relieved of a much larger sum of money. Jamie, Anthony's mum, has her own theory on what may have happened to that cash. And then apparently, Bob Gladstone, they went in the house. Okay, so they went in the house. They took a bag of of drugs that was sitting next to Ron's body and they threw it out in the woods. Yeah. But when the family goes in, listen, I know I was raised in a house that had large, huge amounts of cash in it. I know how this works. Ron had a lot of cash. Everybody knew it. But who knows better than your cousin, your best like brother, where your stuff is. And his brother was there. They got the cousin and the brother and Bob Gladstone went back in the house when the body was there. And they they contaminated the crime scene, first of all. And second of all, you're damn right. If if one of my relatives was to get killed, I would take their money out of their house. Why would I let the corrupt police have it? Everyone in that county knows that they're no good. Again, of course, as always, we must stress that no wrongdoing has ever been found against any persons or group of people regarding this case, other than Anthony Duke. So still on the topic of money, it would seem that the reason Tony came onto detectives' radar in the first place was apparently because of a Facebook post made by Tony regarding spending a large sum of money. Here's Tony on that. There was a, I was reading an article that said something about a Facebook post that you made regarding $30,000 to spend. What was that all about? That was just taken under contact. I was just putting thoughts on. I just said 30K 
Decisions, decisions, decisions is all I put. And then my aunt responded asking what was up. And I told I just put 30K that I have to So did you have 30000 to spend or you were just looking to spend, that's the sort of money you wanted to spend? That was just what I wanted. Uh, the equipment that I wanted, brand new, was... So that's what it added up to. The sum of 30000 that I have to spend, not that I have to spend, that I have to spend. Regarding my business and equipment that I was going to finance, which was through a landscape company, Weingart, and the detective confirmed it. And he even admitted to that on the stand, <clears throat> confirming that I was going to finance upwards of thirty thousand dollars in equipment. And then they said, "Well, you didn't, you didn't finance it." Uh, uh, well, yeah, because I came across some, some good business wisdom. Why would you finance something and have have to pay a note on it every month? in a season when that equipment can't even pay for itself and earn its own money. As we know, Tony says his father was originally arrested by police and questioned about this crime. Tony even says that detectives wanted him to testify against his father. And he flat out refuses and says that even if he thought that it was true that his father was trying to set him up, there is no way he could ever testify against his own father. It seems, however, his father didn't share those same feelings as he would get on the stand and testify against Tony and make claims that Tony had told him that he had stolen money from Ron in the past. Tony says his father is wrong and tells me about the actual conversation that he had. Your father got on, did your father get on the stand and say that you had um, told him before that you'd stolen from Ron? I think he did say that. He was referring to a conversation that we had the night before. I was They actually come and got me for the second polygraph, and they actually had him in jail. We were discussing how they had Brian as a suspect, I guess, and he was cleared because he was in another state working. And I told him, I said, I said, you're insinuating like I have something to do with this. I said, I've never not been able to go to Ron and work and get some money. Uh, I said, there's been a, a bunch of times where we've been on jobs, uh, and Ron's had an envelope full of money in the briefcase. There's been a tons of times where we've come back from the Wasso Speedway with the whole weekend's take of money. I said... Any which time I could have just reached in and stolen any type of money if I wanted to. I never had. I said, Brian tested me one time at a job site. We got in the chip truck, pulled out some money, handed it to me, and put some in his own pocket. And said that I do this all the time. Ron will never know. I said, Brian, we don't steal from our friends. I said, we come and work. He makes special work for us to do. I said, this is a man that lets us into his house. We ride his four-wheelers. We, we take care of things, get him ready for when his mom comes out to visit. I said, he's like a father to us, a role model. I said, this is a good man. I said, we don't steal from our friends. We may do a lot of dumb things around here growing up, but we, this is, you don't take from people that are family, your friends. It's, there's got to be a line somewhere. And he looked at me. And he said, he shook his head and said, you're going to do all right, Tony Duke. You passed. He pulled the money out of his pocket, put it back in there. Rod got in the truck, 
looked at me, looked at him, said, how'd he do? He said, he passed. And Ron said, I had a good feeling about you, son. He said, you're going to fit in well with us. And I looked at my dad. I told him that. I said, so if I really was in need of anything, I said, I could have just easily just done some stupid stuff like that. I said, to, to go as far as, is taking a man's life over a few dollars. I said that's 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 not me. And I I had a bad feeling because of what he was asking about questions about guns and then insinuating something like that towards me. I left. I got away from it. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we need to talk polygraph tests and the apparent murder weapon. Do you think the reason she said she couldn't she couldn't find it was because she did those alterations that would be a, a felony charge? Most definitely. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And as always, a huge thank you to all of you for your kind words and messages about the show. The One Minute Remaining community is growing each and every week, as is our private Facebook group, which is open to you right now. Just search the One Minute Remaining podcast and you can get involved in that. And this week, I want to give a special shout out to some of our Patreon members because yes, the One Minute Remaining podcast does now have a Patreon. You guys asked for more content, so we are bringing that to you. But of course, it is just myself and Dom, my audio genius, bringing you this show, not a big organization. So we don't have a stack of cash behind us to create this. So as a thank you to you guys for supporting the show, we are going to bring you a bonus monthly episode. Uh, we're also going to be uh, doing a wine and crime night, which we are coining one sip remaining. That is thanks to Jess Powell for that name, as well as the possibility of sitting in on a live inmate interview. 
All the details are on the Patreon. Just click the link in the show notes below. So just a quick shout out to just some of our Patreon members. In fact, they are coined the OMR jurors. Mandy Carvin, Natasha Dengate, uh, Trina Albanese, Taylor Maskew. Uh, We've got Gabriella, Linda, Brett, uh, Michelle, Danielle, Misty, Carla, Thank you so much indeed for uh, jumping on and supporting this show. We truly do appreciate each and every one of you. In previous episodes, we've heard a number of times Tony talking about polygraph tests. He took them at the request of detectives. In fact, he took multiple, the first of which he passes. This would later be brought into question as detectives say they find evidence that someone, they suggest Tony, had searched online how to beat a polygraph test. Not only that, but they would also state that they find a printed out manual on the subject in one of Tony's vehicles. Tony says the searches were done by his then girlfriend. That was my girlfriend at the time. Right. Uh, She knew that I was going to take a polygraph test looked it up. She's like, look, people fail all the time because of being nervous. Da, da, da. I got all this people's stories about all this and that. She's like, don't take it. You're on parole. You're going to be a, come a scapegoat. I said, I have nothing to hide. I said, Ronald's my friend. I said, I'm not. I said, I'm not worried about it. And I went and took polygraph test. But they found a how to beat a polygraph manual in Ashley's work bag that was in the truck that I bought for her. So they say it's my truck. It found in my truck, but they don't let it be known that it was in a work bag and it was her truck for her and her daughter. She was the primary driver of this truck. And they found that she downloaded it on her uh, laptop. I don't know why they want to say I downloaded something. Well, I mean, it helps with their case, I suppose, and it looks bad in front of the jury. Definitely, yeah. They painted a dark picture of me. The first one I took, it wasn't even 48 hours later from when they found, when they were at my house and collected these sabots and all that. It wasn't even 48 hours later I was taking a polygraph test. So they want to say that I downloaded a manual on how to beat, I learned how to, they're trying to say I learned how to beat a polygraph test from downloading a manual that says how to beat a polygraph test. Or I think it taught about how polygraph tests are deceitful. It all depends on the person giving the test, which made sense on the second polygraph test of how riled up they made me and kept me hooked up to a machine for hours before an exam even started and after the exam was over. The difference between the first polygraph and the second polygraph were night and day. The question for me, though, is what are polygraphs and how do they work? I mean, I think like most people, I've mainly seen them in movies. The person who's strapped up to a machine, sweating, looking nervous, while someone sits behind them watching a needle on a piece of paper dart up and down. So this is the time that I would normally bring in an expert. I contacted over 10 polygraph examiner offices in the US, UK, and in Australia. And unfortunately, none of them wanted to come on to discuss the technology. Read into that what you will. 
So you've got me and my friend Google. So a polygraph test, often incorrectly referred to as a lie detector test, is a device or procedure that measures and records several psychological indicators, such as blood pressure, pulse, respiration, and skin conductivity, while a person is asked and answers a series of questions. So the examiner typically begins polygraph test sessions with a pre-test interview to gain some preliminary information, which will later be used to develop diagnostic questions. Then the tester will explain how the polygraph is supposed to work, emphasising that it can detect lies and that it's important to answer truthfully. Then a stim test is often conducted. The subject is asked to deliberately lie and then the tester reports that he is able to detect this lie. Guilty subjects are likely to become more anxious when they are reminded of the test's validity. However, it is stated that there are risks of innocent subjects being equally or more anxious than the guilty ones. Then the actual test starts. Some of the questions asked are irrelevant, such as, is your name Fred? Others are diagnostic questions, and the remainder are the relevant questions, such as, did you rob the bank? Or, did you kill Ron Hauser? These are obviously the ones the tester is really interested in. The different types of questions alternate. The test is considered a pass if the psychological responses to the diagnostic questions are larger than those during the relevant questions. Tony says this apparent manual that detectives had found had in fact been discredited as being a load of, well, BS. They went on to say that the guy that wrote this manual was indicted and sued for selling false material and stuff that didn't work. Uh, But then they go on to say that after they discredit the the manual and the person that wrote it and how he is indicted and facing prison time and been sued over this falsely put together book he proclaims to have written. But then they turn around and say that I used information from this to beat their polygraph. Which they've already said doesn't work. So, right. And so you you mean to tell me that I learned how to beat a polygraph in less than 48 hours? I reached out to some people in different federal organizations and they, the CIA trains people for two years minimum on how to beat a polygraph test just in case they get caught behind enemy lines. And there's only a handful of people to ever be able to do it. They train people for a minimum of two years and they still can't do it. And the guy said, regardless of what they say, there's no way humanly possible that I could have taught myself how to beat a polygraph test from a manual downloaded from the internet in less than 48 hours. So, question is, is it possible to beat a polygraph test by going online and reading a how-to 48 hours prior to taking that test? Well, again, I have no expert to give their opinion on whether this is possible or not. We just have the internet. And if you search on Google how to beat a polygraph test, you'll get over a million results. 
go on YouTube again. Similar story, hundreds and hundreds of videos on how to beat a polygraph test. On the website, antipolygraph.org, it says, when you're asked a controlled question like, did you ever lie to get out of trouble? You can try to solve a maths problem as quickly as you can in your head. And that mental activity will tend to raise your sweating, your breathing, and all the other signs that are being looked out for. It then says, if you have a stronger reaction to the control questions than the relevant questions, you will pass this test. Another expert online says that altering human physiology is not difficult, and there are many anti-polygraph websites that teach you this. It says, though, what these websites can't teach you is how to alter one's physiology that appears to a polygraph examiner as a genuine or natural response to a polygraph exam question. He says when polygraph examinees try to alter or control their body's normal reactions, it creates abnormal data that is easily recognisable by a polygraph examiner trained to detect these unnatural physiological responses. So there is no real definitive answer that I can find as to whether or not you can in fact beat a polygraph test, especially with 48 hours notice. As we know, polygraphs certainly have their fair share of critics, including a man I spoke to in a recent episode, Rob Robertson, who's a former prosecutor turned defence attorney. The polygraphs are, you know, they're not admissible in court generally, but they, some people try to backdoor them in under the guise of, well, they, they just explain the circumstances of the confession. But they're really designed to, in many instances, the operators just cause additional stress in the person. Um, I actually watched a videotape of a polygraph that went on for like 40 minutes. And the first, they're only asking 10 questions during the whole time. Mm. You know, adjust your chair, speak up, sit straighter. And the guy was almost like it was some kind of bad game of Simon Says. At the end of it, and we actually tried this case, they said he failed the polygraph and they kept telling him deception is indicated. They couldn't say on what questions he didn't answer correctly. They couldn't say on what he answered, what deception was indicated, nothing. It was a complete joke. I don't know if I've ever seen a polygraph given in a criminal setting where the person uh, passed with no deception indicated. The the best I've seen is uh, inconclusive. Yeah. And, and even then inconclusive, they'll turn that around saying like, well, inconclusive means it didn't show that you were telling the truth. Mm. You must have been lying about something. So I don't, I, don't put, I don't put any stock in the polygraphs. So whether or not the polygraph evidence is fair remains very questionable. In fact, in the US, it's inadmissible in court. And it's important to point out that the argument was made that a polygraph test result was unable to be used during the trial. And the prosecution was warned that any reference to the polygraph or the results of that polygraph would be inadmissible and could require a mistrial. However, the court did allow them to discuss that Tony had apparently searched how to beat a polygraph, which they say, and I quote, tended to show a consciousness of guilt. Let's talk about more evidence, or lack thereof. The murder weapon the detectives say was used to kill Mr Hauser was a Mossberg 12-gauge rifled-barreled shotgun which is a very popular weapon in the US, with over 11 million in circulation. Tony, as a convicted felon, was unable to own, or in fact shoot, a firearm. He has already said that when he was released from prison, he gathered up his registered firearms and walked them over to a neighbour's for safekeeping, guns that he would later be charged for possessing. But Tony's a hunter. As his mum, Jamie, told us ever since he was young, he's always hunted. So it's not long 
till Tony's out hunting again. Not smart on Tony's behalf, I think we can all agree on that. And I think Tony would also agree that he should not have been hunting. So he borrows a Mossberg from a friend called Michelle, a gun the detectives would eventually say they believe to be the weapon used to murder Ron. Here's Tony to explain his relationship with Michelle. She's a friend, but she's been a mother when I needed a mother. She's been a friend when I needed a friend. She's been a father when I needed a father. An aunt when I needed an aunt. That's the type of lady this person is or was to me through my teenage years. She watched me go through some things. And she had, it was her gun. It was her gun. I've sighted it in for her in the past growing up, you know. And so I borrowed it, you know. A few times I went out deer hunting. And I returned it around Christmas time. I believe it was before Christmas because I got the little puppy that I named Roscoe for my ex-girlfriend and her daughter. And I've never seen it again. So Michelle would later testify to this fact and say Tony had borrowed her Mossberg 12-gauge rifled barreled sighted shotgun during several hunting seasons, including in November of 2011. She also said that he returned it before Christmas 2011. However, she could not locate it when police contacted her in March of 2012. Detectives would claim that Tony would later go back and steal that weapon in order to kill Mr Hauser. This weapon was never found, and Tony says he believes he knows why. In February, Tony went to Michelle's house, and this is what he says he comes across when he gets there. And literally I showed up, and her stepbrother was there, and Michelle's all excited, showing me, oh, look what happened, look what uh, Fred got for me. He had a, a kit to transform the shotgun and put a pistol grip on it, and he was literally sawing off the end of the barrel. I just shook my head in disbelief and told her that, you know, that's a federal offense. And she said that it was more convenient for her to have that like that for safety reasons. It's quicker and easier to move and maneuver. And she was excited and happy. She's like, I'm sorry, you can't hunt with it no more. She's like, but... You know, safety's everything. I'm like, I, I'm not mad at you, you know. I never told the police that because, I mean, she's like family to me. I would not want her to get in trouble. Potentially, she could get federal charges, and you know. I care about those that I consider friend and family and try to look out and protect them any way I can. Yeah. Even if that means, you know, I got to be the one in trouble for it. She told them that I returned it at Christmas time. She testified to it on the stand. This, of course, is true. Having or possessing a sawn-off shotgun in a number of US states is a federal offence that would likely see you receive approximately 15 to 20 months in a federal prison. So when police show up at Michelle's home to inquire about the weapon they have been informed Tony may have been using, Michelle tells them that yes, indeed, Tony had hunted with it, but she believed he had returned it just before Christmas. However, she says she's been unable to locate it recently. 
it also says on here that she she re- reported it um, stolen when she couldn't find it around March when the police were asking about it. She didn't even report it stolen until like the second or third time the detectives came there inquiring about it. She said ah, that she can't find it, da da. And they said, well, then you should report it stolen. The only reason she reported it stolen was because they directed her to report it stolen. But if you don't have it, you report it stolen. Otherwise, it's supposed to be here. It's not here. Then we can have reason to believe that you, if that's the murder weapon, then you're involved too. If it's missing, why haven't you reported it stolen? Do you think the reason what she said it? she couldn't she couldn't find it was because she did those alterations that would be a, a felony charge? Most definitely, without a doubt. You know what they could, what they would want to do to you if you if. It, would you hand it over to him? It's no different than when they asked me if I hunted with a gun, being a felon on parole. I told him no. If it wasn't altered, she would have would have gave it to him. But by chance it got stolen. I I find it hard to believe that. But I also know there was a a, a big spree of home invasions that literally went by her place of residence, uh, a residence that's just on the other side of her woods was broken into, there was guns stolen, up and down the roads for several miles, including Farmer John Lane, which is a rock throw away from Ron's house. There was a bunch of home invasions these group of guys did, including businesses where they stole mainly guns and jewelry and safes. I don't believe in coincidences, but I'd like to give my friend the benefit of the doubt that if it was stolen, that would make sense. That, yeah, all right, well, if there's a bunch of home invasions where all these weapons come up missing, then I could see the potential in hers being a home invasion as well. However, I, I also know what I've seen, and I wouldn't, I mean, clearly I didn't, Tell the police about it. I don't. I can't see that she would want to brandish something that could potentially land her in federal penitentiary. So again, this is Tony's account of what happened. So he, in fact, gave me a contact number for his former friend, which I rang. And, like many of the numbers that I try with this case, there was just no answer. I continued to try and try and try, until I eventually got a call back. The lady who I spoke with on the phone said that Michelle was not in. I explained who I was and what I was inquiring about, that I'd been speaking with Tony with Inside the Correctional Institution and was wanting to talk to Michelle, his former friend, about the situation. She told me that she did not believe that Michelle wanted to get involved anymore and did not, I quote, wish to stir a bunch of crap up again. With this, I left all my contact details and said I hoped to hear back from Michelle. So since making this call, I have not heard back from Michelle. Tony tells me he believes that the lady who told me she didn't think Michelle wanted to get involved was in fact Michelle herself. You have one minute remaining. And that about wraps us up. Coming up next episode, I get a Facebook message 
from a former employee of Livingston County who tells me a few home truths about the county itself. And I, I asked him if he knew this detective. His response, holy shit. And it would appear that these rumours and accusations have been heard more than once. Okay. But I do know that I've heard those comments about some of the officers that were involved. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.